Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Good evening everyone and welcome to Dunbar Law on 3CR 8.55am and welcome to those listening via 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. It is exactly 6pm and you're here with Sarah Devotta and Hannah Faseha and tonight we're joined in the studio by Kate Goodwin and Emma Strybosch from Paper Giant to talk about technology, access to justice and human-centred design. Welcome Emma and Kate, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So, tonight we have a bit of a tech focus, but our first news in brief is something that I think we've all been talking about. It's been splashed over the front page of the paper. Hannah, what, what's going on? Absolutely. News of informant 3838 has dominated, I think, media in the last week, at least in Victoria. Um, I guess it all came to light after the High Court of Australia and the Victorian Court of Appeal lifted or partially lifted suppression orders yesterday. Um, The matter relates to a Victorian criminal barrister who, whilst advising clients and acting for them in criminal matters, was informing to police and was paid for that. that. Um, The matter came to light after the Chief Commissioner of Police sought to restrain the Director of Public Prosecutions from making certain disclosures to to Tony Mockbell and six of his associates. The then director formed the view that his duty of disclosure as a prosecutor required him to inform the seven persons that the barrister had given information to police about um, at the same time she was acting for them um, and that she had provided information to police about the people she was acting for. The Chief Commissioner, together with the barrister, sought to prevent the disclosures and it was argued that the disclosures would place the barrister and her children at extreme risk of death and other harm and would also deter future or potential informants from giving confidential assistance to the police. Um, The uh, Supreme Court's decision, confirmed by the Court of Appeal and then the High Court, found that the police's conduct was so reprehensible um, that that what had occurred needed to come to light. Um, So it's still playing out. Um, Mm. Yesterday, um, the Victorian government announced um, that a $7.5 million Royal Commission would be held into um, the conduct of Victoria Police. Um, And currently, two interstate appointees are kind of being recruited to head up the commission uh, to avoid avoid any uh, conflicts of interest. So Mm. I think it's just getting started and, and more information will probably come to light. It's very interesting, isn't it? And they're going to look at all the systemic failures and the processes and everything that's gone wrong to lead to this. It's quite fascinating. It'll be interesting to see how that all came to light because it seems quite irregular to say the least. So I think there's a bit more to that. So I suppose we'll find out in December next year when they release their final report. So that's quite interesting. Um, And back to our 
tech news, although this isn't really news, but it's um, it seems uh, somewhat uh, relevant to our theme today. I found out recently that China actually has two internet courts. So there was one opened in um, Hangzhou, and I'm sorry to any... Um, Mandarin speakers who are listening today, if I've said that incorrectly, but that was set up um, in August last year to cope with increasing online disputes um, in China, where there are nearly 800 million internet users currently. So it handles civil cases such as contract disputes involving online shopping, service and small loans, copyright and infringement lawsuits, domain name disputes, internet defamation and some administrative lawsuits. Um, And then in September of this year, they opened a second court um, called the Beijing Internet Court. So it's quite interesting. Um, I was quite interested to see that the cases have an average duration of – a trial has an average duration of 38 days in this court, which apparently is 50% shorter than conventional courts. So they're they're obviously giving a lot of thought to all the the internet disputes. But – so not only does it relate to – matters that arose on the internet like um, online disputes that actually takes place over the internet as well and there's some interesting pictures of um, of judges sitting in empty courtrooms with big screens in front of them so it all kind of takes place online so that's interesting might mm. be the way of the future I'm not sure whether that's going to take off here but I suppose we'll have to watch this space mm, absolutely well hopefully that, um, if it was to take off here we'd have much shorter trials than yeah exactly <laughs> something days yeah. um, so Back back in Australia, yes. federally, the debate continues about the coalition government's highly controversial encryption-breaking legislation. The powers sought by the Morrison government would result in sweeping powers to compel tech companies and telco providers to give police agencies power to access encrypted communication across a range of platforms, including WhatsApp. Concerns have been raised by a range of stakeholders, including the Law Council of Australia, in a press release released yesterday, the Law Council's uh, President-elect, Arthur Moses, warned that failing to properly scrutinise the bill risks unintended consequences which may impact on the privacy and rights of law-abiding citizens, the media and corporate sector. Scott Morrison has criticised the federal opposition, and in particular Bill Shorten, for not supporting the bill, accusing Bill Shorten of being happy for terrorists to plot attacks using encrypted messages. The Council also raised concerns about political attacks directed at those highlighting issues with the Encryption Access Bill, saying when dealing with sensitive and complicated legislation like this, it's completely inappropriate for any politician to accuse anyone of putting at risk national security because they are raising legitimate concerns about about legislation. It will be interesting to see how this transpires over the next um, next couple of weeks or a few days, um, as this was touted as the only piece of legislation the government could get through before the election. So mm, interesting, and I think we'll probably just see more and more of this sort of thing in the brave new world that we're entering, where mm. um, these big companies have so much power and are doing so much in our daily lives. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think we might have a little bit of Fat Freddy's drop. And then we'll be back to talk to our guests. And now we're joined in the studio by Kate Goodwin and Emma Strybosch from Paper Giant. Kate is Paper Giant's experienced design and strategy lead and Emma is a senior strategic designer. And Paper Giant's a strategic design consultancy firm. Um, 
tonight we're going to be talking about some of the access to justice problems Paper Giant has been working on and the types of design solutions that they've developed. Welcome Emma and Kate, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. So perhaps you could start by telling us a little bit about Paper Giant and the sort of work that you do there. Um, so we're a, a, a research company uh, mm-hmm. that does a lot of design work from the um, research that we do. It's all usually based in human-centred design um, processes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really like to um, get in and understand what uh, what's happening mm-hmm. in the space and we um, do research with people who potentially will be using a product mm. or a service or um, and design for the needs of the users. Mm. And what sort of clients do you typically have? We have quite a mixture, actually. Um, We've just been working on a project recently with international students, um, international students uh, in that particular community in the North Melbourne area, um, but we also work with people with disabilities, um, people in the with um, cognitive impairment and dual uh, disability. Um, so at the, right through to even, like, sort of more corporate clients as well, um, but lots of not-for-profits and a lot of mm. things in the sort of community legal uh, area. Yeah. Okay, great. And um, Emma, one of the access to justice issues we've spoken about on this show before is fines and how the system can be really difficult to navigate for people who may have large amounts of outstanding fines. I know certainly when I was practising that I had a lot of clients in that um, boat and um, it was it was pretty heartbreaking for them and, and it can be very hard to navigate. Um, I understand that Paper Giant was engaged to work on a project to do with fines. Yeah, we've actually done a couple now. So. Okay. I'm learning so much about fines. Mm-hmm. Never thought I would. <laughs> um, so uh, one that's actually live is a, a project that was called Fine Fixer, mm-hmm. um, which you can go to on, online. Uh, Finefixer.org.au. Yeah, okay. that's it. Um, so that program of work actually um, originally came out of an RMIT Fast Track student program. Um, some students came up with um, a couple of different ideas and FineFixer was one of them. Um, and we're engaged through Mooney Valley um, Legal. Yep, Mooney Valley Legal Service. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, to work with them on, on that project. So um, that was a, it was a real way of um, looking at access to justice through self-service, I guess, you could say. Okay, and what sort of um, what sort of what was the kind of the problem and the solution that you came up with for the fine fixer? Um, I guess the, the the big thing is that, as you said, sometimes people mm. present with thousands of dollars worth of fines and mm. and don't know where to go first. So this was a real way. It's a it's a website that you can go to, and you can. Um, go through a a series of different questions to work out exactly how you deal with those fines. Mm. Um, So Yeah, and the thing, the idea behind it was a lot of people have sort of smaller infringements that they may be able to deal with quite quickly and effectively using this tool, Mm -hmm. which means that uh, legal professionals are freed up to spend more time with the people that have large cumulative fines, which where people find themselves actually landing up in prison, it may exacerbate um, what's going on for people with Mm. sort of mental illness and other things that have led them to incur these fines in the first place. Mm, So by dealing with the kind of the volume, then Mm. it, it means that the resourcing of the professionals can be directed towards 
towards those that uh, that need it most. Oh, that's great. So it's really it's really directed at those people who just need a little bit of a push in the right direction to know how to deal with something yeah. because you know, even with a university degree, it's quite hard to figure out the science <laughs> system. I've, I have always found. So yeah. that's really good. So people just click through on the website and yeah. it asks a series of questions. It's almost like a decision tree. Yeah. Is that right? Absolutely. That's what I yeah, kind of that's exactly what I picked what it up is. from it. Yeah. Oh, okay, great. And has there been um, good uptake of that or is, is it able to be measured how many people are using it? Or So there is actually quite a lot of... Um, data capture and analytical um, thinking put into how things could be tracked and measured mm. uh, once the service was in, in flight. And that has actually led to things that can be discussed at more policy levels in terms of how um, these things are being dealt with at that higher higher level, so to mm. speak. So it's not just a tool uh, for people to address their fine, their infringements, um, which is great. It's a, it's a means of um, determining what's going on and driving change in the system mm. as well, which mm. is good. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. That's excellent. Mm. And was there there's some other fines work as well? Yeah, wasn't so there? there's another project that we're currently working on. It's mm-hmm. called Streamline Fines. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sitting more in the space of... Um, it, it's a little bit like a health justice partnership. Okay. Not quite so. Um, the... It's actually another RMIT fast track student program, so that another project that came out of that same course, mm-hmm. uh, and they really were looking at special circumstances and fines. So, um, people with mental health, alcohol and drug, um, homelessness, those sorts of things, um, they they can apply for special circumstances to Fines Victoria, mm. and in a lot of cases that gets them out of that the fine, mm. um, which actually helps to. Like at the moment, there's so many fines that these people have, mm-hmm. and it and it helps to you know get that burden away from the courts and and get those people mm. um, their fines okay. revoked. They they were called so revoked. the idea there is to have them dealt with administratively rather than going through the court system, yeah. which as we know is pretty clogged up at the moment. Yeah, so. absolutely. So mm. um, a part of the the process is that we've got three pilot sites we uh, are working with at the moment. They're mm-hmm. inpatient settings, so the people in these sites have special circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And once they're identified with having a fine, it's about getting the right evidence to mm. prove the nexus, I guess. Mm. So that point of when the fine happened and, and what was happening in their life, it's really important to understand all of those different parameters. Mm. And then once the evidence is being gathered, it's about writing the right letters and submitting it to Fines Victoria. Mm. So. so that's a real outreach kind of thing, isn't it? Because yeah. I suppose it's also about, you know, people in this position often don't... Um, the fines don't really come to light until someone intervenes, mm. and that's why they're just cu- accumulating at such a steady rate. And of course, the you have the fine, and then of course you have the extra costs which which accrue mm. as you haven't dealt with it. You yeah. know, which of course is really really common with people with serious mental health issues, yeah. and those yeah. are some of those other special circumstances. Yeah. So that's great that yeah. those people are actually having some some intervention and able to kind of get it all out into the open and dealt yeah, with. Absolutely. Mm. And, you know, there's there's stories of um, patients coming and speaking to a lawyer and they've got a whole bag full of fines that they haven't even opened because yeah. they just can't deal with the stress of it and mm. they know they're not going to be able to pay them. And so, mm. you know, it just grows the amount of mm. debt that they have. And is that a tech-based kind of solution as well? Yeah, or? so it's um, a lot of it is um, 
a, a big part of it will be tech, but what we actually found that one of the major things with a, a project like this, especially when we're talking to lawyers and health professionals and Finds Victoria, that is, those relationships are actually some of the most important things and, and setting up those relationships and, and the education of all the different things that need to happen within mm. this space is, is really important. So we, we will be providing them with a digital solution, but we'll also be um, helping them and designing with them a process. Mm. That's excellent. Mm. And Kate, you've been working with Done by Law's very own Nadia from Inner Melbourne Community Legal on, a, on another project. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so it was a six-month piece that we worked on this year that in Melbourne came to us uh, having received some funding from um, Degeta to uh, build an, a resource that would assist international students with legal issues that arise uh, at home in, the, in public in terms of personal safety and also with their study arrangements when they've paid to come to Australia and, and uh, subsequently the kinds of things that happen to them such as realising they've been paid a lot of money and they suddenly don't have health cover and that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, and the sort of exploitation that occurs and so um, we were asked to uh, pr- produce a resource um, that could be used by these students and what that involved was um, getting together with the international student community first and foremost in Melbourne to discuss what the issues are, to work mm-hmm. out what the uh, real challenges are and what potential op- areas of opportunity and then we worked with that community to identify um, international students in Melbourne who could come in and actually do workshops uh, and interviews with us where we could learn more about their issues and actually how um, they worked with us to plot out you know, what their experience is of um, tenancy and um, also uh, you know, for example, overcrowding, being mm-hmm. overcharged, uh, mm-hmm. the landlord um, basically, uh, landlords um, basically just um, saying to them, you know, um, we can either fix that for you, but you're going to have to pay a lot more money and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And in terms of um, personal safety as well, um, the experiences that happen to them in public or perhaps with family family violence or domestic violence, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and what we um, learned was that um, they often were very scared to talk to anyone about the kind of issues that they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Everything largely comes back to a fear of losing their uh, visas. Mm-hmm. So they largely, um, what I would say, put up and shut up, and it was yep. very uh, difficult to hear that. Yep. So we learned that they would really benefit from... Um, they, they suggested this this design uh, to us, that they would benefit from very picture-driven uh, style um sort of scenarios or what we ended up calling episodes with um, wording as well where they could see um, you know the sorts of different stories or, or case studies if you like of what have happened mm. to people in similar situations um, and then referral pathways such as to Consumer Affairs Victoria, Tenancy mm-hmm. Victoria, Safe Steps and indeed community legal centres such as in a Melbourne community legal Mm. And so over a six-month period, we developed that um, with the students and included evaluation of what we came up with as a prototype. And that's really critical when you do these things is that um, we uh, engage with these communities, but ultimately it's for them. They need to drive it. Um, and so we need to make sure that they're part of that journey throughout to make mm. sure that this thing is going to be successful. Mm. Um, it will be officially launched next year with IMCL. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but the key thing with that is, and just around that, using using data to, to, to monitor and make change is to see what kind of traction it's having and what kind of impact it's having on the international student community. Mm. Um, so Nadia and myself are speaking at the ISANA conference in Sydney this week about this very thing, and we hope to um, be using this as a mechanism for, for driving advocacy and sharing uh, in the mm. community. And what we really learned is that the information-seeking stu- uh, behaviour of students is... Um, uh, it's actually lower, that their, their digital usage is actually lower than you would think. And so it's really about they learn from their peers and they learn from their networks. So this is something that was designed to be shared throughout uh, Weibo, WeChat um, mm. and, and Facebook and that to an extent. But we were looking at Chinese um, uh, sort of Spanish-speaking, Vietnamese-speaking um, communities primarily in TAFE, VET and RTO sectors and more so than university. And so it's about those communities understanding how they share and then mm. finding the people who can get the information out there so it can be shared. Because people don't want to hear from a company like us or indeed IMCL when we don't mean anything to these groups. Mm. They want to hear from their peers. Mm. And the idea is that if they just see that, even if they just learn the term Tenants Victoria, mm. they've now learned about a place they can go to with mm. inquiries, whereas their current level of knowledge is zero. So so um, we're really looking forward to sort of tracking that with IMCL and seeing how that goes in mm. terms of you know driving some of that change at, at varying mm. levels mm. Mm. and that's really interesting isn't it what you were saying about um that they came up even with the type of design solution for you so presumably you had meetings workshops forums with with students yeah. and and you you didn't assume in the first place what sort of solution they needed you actually went to them for that those answers as well that's it because originally imcl had in their mind that it might look like fine fixer they thought it mm. might be a decision tree. Mm. And it, and what we quickly found out was that it wasn't. It actually mm. needed to be something that was a lot more visual, yeah. a lot more shareable. It's what Shanton Chang, who was one of our advisors on this from uh, Melbourne University, does a lot with international student uh, uh, and information-seeking needs. He said it needs to be highly engaging clickbait. Mm. That's the first time we've ever been mm-hmm. asked to design something like that. Mm. But, um, but that was what we collectively came up with, and that's mm. through – we use a lot, you know – in our field, we use a lot of participatory methods yeah. uh, where we bring the community in together with the stakeholders. So we had the um, the students there, and we were able to do things mm. together with with all uh, corners of the of mm. the international student community. Mm. So, um, and the students were sometimes it was the first time they'd ever had a chance to share these kinds of stories um, mm. it, with us as strangers. Um, so it was a privilege to hear their stories, and so we want to work with IMCL to make sure that this is something that. Um, can be converted into action and it's not just um, it's not just a, a piece of content or it's not just something that sits on a website it's something that needs to lead to some kind of change over time mm. and that's that's really critical for us as well um, mm. Mm. I suppose I'm thinking about the des- the um, decision tree kind of format and how that's very um, very useful where there's only X range, a certain range of decisions, isn't there? Whereas I think it seems like the sort of problems that might be faced by an international student, either in a, mm. a tenancy or whatever, there's so many variables, isn't there? There's so That's many it. different scenarios mm. and it's really about them getting yep. that help, isn't it? Rather than just floundering mm. and feeling like they have actually nowhere to turn because I think you're so vulnerable as an international student in, yeah. in Australia, you know, especially if your English skills aren't 
very good. I'm sure it can be quite an isolating experience and um, yep. interesting what you say about people turning to their peers first because that makes that makes a lot of sense. That's their community, so they're going to find out probably first if anyone else has had that experience and and how they got help and how they dealt with it. So it's good yep. that they're being directed to the um yeah. Directed to the professionals instead of the armchair experts, which <laughs> we all know they exist out there as well. So that's really good. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering, so human-centred design, it's obviously being talked about more and more in government and community projects. Um, can you kind of see that being employed more in, in this field as, as things move forward? Oh, absolutely. Um, a lot of the projects that we've been doing recently mm. um we it might be the first time that 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 agency has actually ever used the techniques that we're using mm. so they're really starting to embrace it and they're really keen to learn you know how how do you start addressing pro- these problems that they have in different ways instead of just going oh we've got a solution let's do this so mm. i mean nine times out of ten our projects are never the same because the people who we're designing for are not the same so mm. we um really want to understand who these people are and, mm. and design for them, not not go in there and go, oh, they need this solution, they mm. need a website. Mm. You know, it's really important for us to unpack exactly what's happening mm. so that we can make the right decision. Yeah, so, I mean, I know human-centred design, it's, it's obviously a little bit of a buzzword at the moment. Do <laughs> <laughs> you maybe tell our listeners, given that you're the professionals, what it actually means, like what, what the approach really entails? Sure. Um, so... I mean, at its heart, it's about thinking about people and their needs. So mm-hmm. you, rather than starting with a solution in mind, so someone saying, oh, we, we should be, there's an app for that or there's a new, we need a new website, mm-hmm. it's taking a step back and speaking with those people in those communities and understanding their world, understanding um, the kinds of information they need at key moments of, of whatever it is that it is that they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then being able to prototype essentially um, an experience that can then be put back past them again where we say okay we've listened to what your needs are we've interpreted that it might mean it could look like this solution which may be not even digital it could just be paper-based for example Um, Mm. and then actually showing that to them or it could be even a phone service or something you know like there's lots of different products and services you can build it's not just apps or websites and then prototyping that um, which could mean putting a quick and dirty thing on a mobile phone and getting them to explore that and see if that's actually addressing the thing that they needed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then refining those those things, but always looking, keeping the, the person and their needs at the heart of what we're doing when we're designing. Mm. And then when the eventual solution is implemented in some fashion is to keep measuring to see the success of that thing for that person and the outcomes and the objectives that were stated as to Mm. what they needed um, out of this particular product or service. Mm. And so it doesn't mean um, building a a new technological platform um, without speaking to anyone, which is kind of the thing that happened, you know, back in the bad old days of the Mm. sort of the 90s and and before. And, I mean, it still happens a lot today. Mm. Um, And what we're seeing is a lot of organisations going to, showing expressing interest in learning about design thinking they're 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 expressing interest in human-centered design expressing interest in the tools and the ways in which we think and do Mm. and and that's why we're increasingly finding that we're speaking to so many people in the in the community legal sector and other Mm. sectors around these kinds of topics 
I think it's a wonderful innovation because I think certainly the courts and the justice system more um, broadly has not had a human-centred design focus. I mean, courts have been set up for the convenience of um, judges, magistrates, court staff, mm-hmm. then lawyers, and then finally the people actually using the courts, and, and they, they mm-hmm. haven't been central to that process at all. So I think it's really wonderful to see that, mm-hmm. that we're starting to do that now and, and hopefully making people's lives a little bit easier. I think that's all we've got time for tonight. Thank you so much for joining us, Kate and Emma. Um, has Paper Giant got a website people can check out? Papergiant.net. Lovely. Thanks so much. This has been Done By Law. Thanks very much for listening. We'll have a bit of Cash Savage now. Mm.